Morning, everyone. It is such a privilege to be speaking to you again this week. And we're really excited about this preaching series that we're in. Ian started off last week. It's called PE, basically a preaching series about strengthening, growing, building our faith, looking at the books of Proverbs and Ephesians. And these books are an absolutely amazing blend of God's majesty, His supremacy, how incredibly powerful He is. At the same time, His passionate love for us, what that looks like. And then how do we practically live this out as Christ followers? What do we do? How do we live out this faith that He's given us? And so today we're opening up the book of Proverbs. Now, a proverb is a general truth and is usually brief, but it's really rich in meaning. So I'll give you a few examples that you may have heard of. One is a stitch in time saves nine. Another may be no pain, no gain, or charity starts in the home. There's many others, but that's an example of what a proverb is. It gives practical advice that's useful in the real world. So it's practical, it's thought-provoking, and then we can act on it in our lives. Now, the person who creates a proverb is usually knowledgeable and is perceptive as well about things of life. Now, what makes the book of Proverbs in the Bible all the more powerful is that it is divinely inspired by God Himself. So these proverbs are greater than the general proverbs that we hear about because they have a supernatural weight to them that no other proverb can have. So a little bit of background into the book before we get stuck into it. Well, it's made up of seven different collections of writings and they're attributed to King Solomon as well as a number of other wise people. Now, many theologians believe that while Solomon didn't write all of them, Whilst he collected from other resources, he compiled them and he would have had the means to do that. He was the king. And so he would have written some. He would have got other writings from wise people. And then he compiled them into the proverb work that we have now. It's referred to about 60 times in the New Testament. So it's referred to by Peter. It's referred to by Paul and by other writers as well. What about a bit about this man called King Solomon? Well, he was one of King David's sons. You might have heard of David, the one who slayed Goliath, was known as a man after God's own heart. So Solomon was one of his sons. He became king at the age of 20. So maybe some of you are listening or you're watching and you're end of high school or you're at university. Well, that's when he became king of Israel. He ruled for 39 years. And so he died just a little before the age of 60. One of the amazing things about Solomon is God appeared to him and said, Solomon, you could ask me for anything. Now, if God appeared to me I, I, and, and said to that, that to me, I don't know what I would ask for. There's any number of things. But what Solomon did is he said, Lord, please give me wisdom. You can find this in 2 Chronicles 1. He said, God of everything, please give me wisdom. And as a result, God said, well, Solomon, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm actually going to give you so much more. And so he gave him knowledge, power, honor, and wealth. The kingdom of Israel became a superpower and Solomon's wealth was absolutely immeasurable. If you look at through the stats of what he had, it's, it's almost impossible to count what he had. Sadly, he was led astray by many women of different faiths that the Lord had warned him about. The Lord had spoken to him about this a number of times, but he ignored that. And that started the process of him falling away from God and falling away from following the Lord's statutes. 
This led to a sense of meaningless in his life, and we may study this another time as a church, but if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes that he wrote, it's an incredibly depressing book from a man's perspective who has everything in the world but has no purpose. It led to wars with other nations and a truly sad end off to what could have been the most incredible, powerful life of impact. So the question we must ask is, how could someone so wise with all the wisdom in the world from God, how could their life end up the way it did? Well, Proverbs 19.27 that Solomon probably wrote actually gives us the answer. This is what it says. If you stop listening to my correction, my son, you will stray from the words of knowledge. Just because Solomon had God's wisdom didn't mean he acted on it. Just because you act with wisdom one day doesn't guarantee that you will the next. This is a daily thing that we have to put into practice. Even if we have been given it, it's a different story to act it out. The book of Proverbs explores the value of wisdom. It explores how you can find it. It explores what it practically looks like to live it out. And finally, the results of ignoring it. So the question is, do we all actually need wisdom? Is this something that you and I need to live the lives that we do in 2020? Well, I don't think there's a single person who would not like to have wisdom. You see, every single decision has a consequence. And over the period of our lives, our decisions have a drastic outcome. So take, for example, something as simple as brushing our teeth. Now, that may seem like a small thing to do, but the outcome of that, of someone who does brush their teeth and who doesn't, over a period of time will look very different. And let's not forget larger decisions, such as what do you want to study? What's the career path you would like to go after? Who are you going to marry one day? Where are you going to live? How to raise children? And the list could go on. And so all of these decisions that we make will have drastic outcomes in our lives. All of these can be life-altering decisions, but the paths to them start with very tiny steps that you and I take, like brushing our teeth. And wisdom is needed for every decision that we make. So whether we are Christ followers listening or not, maybe we're exploring faith today, we need wisdom to operate in the lives in which we live. But there's also a wisdom from God that can go against the logic of society. Often what's considered wisdom in society is actually said to be foolishness in God's eyes and vice versa. Think about amassing earthly wealth. Now in society that's considered to be a good thing, something that's good to prepare for the future and to amass earthly wealth. But that's an example that completely contrasts where God says actually don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust can destroy but store it up in heaven. So it's a complete contrast in wisdom, society versus God's. You can read more of that in Matthew 6. So if God truly is the creator of all, if he's truly sovereign of all, overall, but not just that, if he really loves you and I and he's proved it to us on the cross, then finding his wisdom should be a top priority during our lives on earth, because it will have an impact on earth, but even more importantly, life beyond the grave. If you and I want to enjoy fulfillment and purpose, the only way to do that is through operating in God's wisdom. If only Solomon had followed wholeheartedly what he wrote about in Proverbs, in particular the one key verse 
that we're going to look at today. It's in Proverbs 1 verse 7. And I want to start with this because this really is the beginning of gaining wisdom. So there's nothing else you take away from today. It's this one verse and acting it out. Look at what it says. I'm going to read from a few translations as well. Proverbs 1 verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. That's in the CSB. I want to read it in the ESV quickly. This is what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The same again. Then it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then finally in the Message Bible, this is a modern day version. Look at what it says. It says, start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. So this is where we're going to camp today because it truly is the start of you and I gaining real wisdom and knowledge from God. If you want to be wise in the best possible way, which is God's way, it begins with the fear of the Lord. That's the starting point before anything else. So what exactly is the fear of the Lord? It's mentioned almost 300 times in the Bible, so it's clearly important. But what exactly does it mean to have a fear of the Lord. Well, I've got a few great stories to help illustrate it. In C.S. Lewis's famous book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, you may or may not have read it or watched the movie, Mr. Beaver tries to explain to one of the children, Susan, what Aslan, who's a picture of Christ, he's a lion, but he's a picture of Christ, what he is actually like. And this is what Mr. Beaver says. He says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You get this awesome picture of God being incredibly powerful like Aslan the lion, but at the same time, good and kind. John Piper talks about the fear of the Lord when he explains the story. Look at what he says. Suppose you were exploring an unknown glacier in the north of Greenland in the dead of winter. Just as you reach a sheer cliff with a spectacular view of miles and miles of jagged ice and snow mountains, a terrible storm starts to break in. The wind is so strong that the fear rises that it might blow you and your party right over the cliff. But in the midst of it, you discover a cleft in the ice where you and your friends can hide. Here, you feel secure, but the awesome might of the storm rages on and you watch it with a kind of trembling pleasure as it surges out across the distant glaciers. At first, there was the fear that this terrible storm and awesome terrain might claim your life, this huge fear of the storm. But then you found a refuge and gained the hope that you would be safe. But not everything in the feeling called fear vanished, only the life-threatening part. There remained the trembling, the awe, the wonder, the feeling that you would never want to tangle with such a storm or be the adversary of such a power. Aren't those two wonderful pictures of this contrast where there's a God who is immensely powerful, sort of the storm characteristic, the fierce lion characteristic, but at the same time, in the midst of that, there's the opportunity to know kindness, to know goodness, to be protected from the storm at the same time. It's what it means to be absolutely blown away by the sheer majesty of who God is, 
but to know the love and care of the Heavenly Father at the same time. The problem is, in church circles and personally, we're so good at talking about the love of God and the grace of God that so often we forget about the raw power and majesty, the, the true fear of God. The thing is, if we neglect the power and the fear of the Lord, we will not experience wisdom. It's what it says in Scripture. Instead, we will start to people, please, and we'll make decisions based on how it works out for us, what people think of us. We'll make decisions based on fear. We'll be in the danger of reasoning away our sins as if they don't really matter. Oh God, you know, he, he died for me. He died on the cross for me. It's all okay. I can kind of do whatever I want. He's going to forgive me. But we can forget about the raw power and hatred that he has towards the sin in our lives. You see, acting like that won't be proper wisdom. And it will lead us on a similar journey to the way that King Solomon ended up away from the life God planned for us. Sure, it may look wise in the eyes of society. We may look good in society's eyes. But as far as acting on God's wisdom and fulfilling the plan he has for us in earth and preparing for the life beyond, we'll miss the mark. If the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of being truly wise, it's my prayer that each of us would grow in this day by day, to grow in an understanding of what it means to fear God. So as we come in for a landing today, I want to look at some powerful verses of the fear of the Lord in Scripture. And I trust as I just read these passages, they'll give you a big picture of what it means to have a healthy grasp of the fear of the Lord in your life and mine. And that will, it, will, it will challenge you to pursue this in your life. So I just want to look at a few responses that people had. This is how Moses responded when God appeared to him in the burning bush. Some of you may have heard the story. In Exodus 3 verses 5 to 6, God speaks and says, Do not come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now look at Moses' response when coming and hearing God's voice. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now this wasn't a fear like God hated him. This was a fear of the true majesty and power of who he was talking to. What about the response of the prophet Isaiah when he had a vision of the mighty living God? This was his response in Isaiah 6 verse 5. He said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. What's your response like when you think of who God is? Isaiah just saw a picture. He saw a vision. He saw a dream, as it were, of this God of power. And immediately he was broken. And he just said, Lord Jesus, please just don't destroy me for the sin of my life. That is how powerful you are, the Lord of armies. What about a few New Testament examples? This is of the disciples spending time with Jesus, God in the flesh. Some of you may have heard of the story of Jesus calming the storm. It was, it was rough and a storm blew up. Jesus was on the boat with his disciples. And in Mark 4, Jesus calms the storm. And look at what his disciples say. They were terrified and they asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Now Jesus was their friend. He loved them. They spent time together. They had meals together. They knew that he loved them. 
But when he calmed the storm, they saw a side to him that was majestic and powerful and it terrified them. They were full of fear, but in a healthy way. Not that Jesus was going to hurt them, but at the fact of who he really was. We need to ask God to give us that fear of him. Final story. Jesus speaks to his disciples. They've been fishing the whole night. They've caught nothing. And Jesus calls them from the shore. He says, hey guys, you've been fishing, but actually just throw your nets out on the other side. Now, that would have sounded like a really pathetic thing to do. They'd fished the whole lake and had no success. But they thought, well, why not? What, why, what's the harm? Let's just try. And so they throw their nets out on the other side and they catch this massive net full of fish. Look at their response. This is what it says. It, it captures the story. When they did what Jesus said, Luke 5 verse 6 to 8, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now Simon Peter one of Jesus' followers, now speaks to Jesus. When Simon Peter saw this, he falls down at Jesus' knees and he says, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's fishing partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. They brought their boats to land. They left everything and they followed him. Again, they weren't scared of Jesus. They wanted to follow him. They knew that he cared for them. But in that moment, they realized who it was they were in the presence of. A real fear of the power of this God. That's what I want us to have today. And that's the start of wisdom in our lives. So in Philippians 2, a general uh, challenge to us, the last scripture I'll look at today. This is what it says about us as Christ followers. We can apply this to ourselves today. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. Then the strange phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is in you, working both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now, this isn't saying we must be worried about being saved and being Christ followers. It's saying, do you know that when you've given your life to Christ, there is a God who is immensely powerful, who is working in and through you. He's wanting you to live out the purpose that he's called you to. We need to have a healthy fear of who God is and who's in our hearts for us to live that out. It's an amazing blend of enjoying God's grace working in our lives, but realizing who he is. Just as you need water to be added to cement to actually make it powerful and strong, so a faith that submits to God that's full of a healthy fear of the Lord must be added to the Proverbs that we are going to look at in the weeks ahead in order for them to produce wisdom from God that truly matters in this lifetime and beyond. Let me pray for you quickly. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for every single person who has listened to this message today. Father, I want to thank you that the start of us living with wisdom and acting on it in our lives is a healthy fear of you. That's not a terrified fear that you're going to do something nasty to us. No, we know that you love us. You've died for us on the cross. It's a healthy understanding, admiration, respect, fear of the immense power and majestic God it is that we can know and can know personally. I ask that each one of us would live our lives with a healthy fear of you because that is the beginning of true wisdom, the wisdom that we need to live a fulfilled and purposeful life. And so I ask that we'd be able to act on that. 
today. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you have more questions for us or more thoughts, please do send it in the comments below as you've watched this or you can contact us through the website. But we want to serve you as best we can over the series. We want to see each of us grow in our faith journey. Maybe if you don't know Christ today, it's such an opportunity to take another step to just ask a question. I'd love to know more about who this Jesus is. Maybe you feel a bit stagnant. You can take another step with God today. But we want to be growing in our faith and trust that this is helping you do that. So have an amazing rest of your day and look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks so much.